0: Amen. So glad you're here this morning. Welcome to Hope Church. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, we are thrilled that you're here. We're very excited to be together studying the book of Acts, which I don't know if you've studied the book of Acts before. Uh, Pastors have the responsibility of picking what we're going to be going through. Uh, The whole Bible's there. We can talk about any of it. And then we have to pick one of them that we're going to go through. Uh, And you can kind of tell what we want to happen based on what we pick. Over the summer, we started with Psalms. Psalms is all about getting in there and doing a little heart work. And then we started talking about Acts. And you have to wonder, as a person who attends a church, what we're looking for when we start a series on Acts. Well, it probably means we're looking for you to do a little more. (laughs) If you know anything about the Bible, the book of Acts is where things start really taking off. You have Jesus coming, and you have his ministry that really only takes place over about a three-year period and really within a very limited geographic area. And then... They light the powder keg with, Saul, uh, with the book of Acts. And everything just explodes. The gospel going out to the ends of the earth. The people getting a, a true understanding of what it is to be part of the church. Doing the work of the church. And so again... You write that back into Little Hope Church and you wonder to yourselves, hmm, hmm, a series on Acts. What exactly do they have in mind? Well, let's get there. Slowly, though, let's get there as the Spirit leads us through the scriptures that he's given us. In the book of Acts, and if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to the book of Acts. If not, don't panic. We'll have that on the screen for you. Or, you're always welcome to grab a copy of the scriptures on the table that's out front there. Those are just free for you. Take one. If you don't have a copy, especially a copy in a modern English translation, just take that with you. That's our gift to you. But, if if you've been with us, last week we started the book of Acts. Today we're going to be in chapter 2. And we started by sort of asking that question. What would it have been like to be one of the disciples when God, through Christ, lays on your shoulders the Great Commission? Again, not assuming any familiarity on your part with the Scripture, but what happens is Jesus comes God with us and he gives us in his teaching and in his life, God's perfect understanding of how a person is supposed to be. We see in Jesus who God wants us to be, what it looks like to really be that passionately in love with God. Because that's a big difference. There's a big distinction between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's not just about doing. It's about loving. And that Jesus' heart is knit together with God. And he shows us this picture of who we're supposed to be. And then he accomplishes for us a, a justification. A redemption in his death on the cross. Bringing people like you and me who are far from God. An opportunity to come back into God's presence. And as Jesus finishes his ministry, dies his death on the cross, then is resurrected, something that we celebrate on Easter, shows the world that his message is true, didn't just preach it, he backed it up. And then he tells his disciples, those people that have been around him throughout the whole of his ministry, which again is pretty short, you now go and make disciples. Of every nation, baptizing the of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, there's comforting stuff at the end of that verse, but at the beginning, it's a heavy load. This is your new job description. We talked about it again yesterday or last Sunday when we were at Acts 1 8. So you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Wow. And then he just leaves. Jesus just ascends into heaven. And here we are sitting with this incredible task. And then he's just gone. How are we going to do it? How are we going to go about it? How are we going to be empowered to do it? We talked about last week that all the persons of the Trinity are there in the way that Jesus interacts with his disciples, giving them this last teaching before he goes. But we feel it today. My children were in the back of the car yesterday. We were driving around. And I heard their, you know, you listen to your kids' conversations. My children are uh, six, five, and three. And so their conversations are always not always they're not they're, they're rarely interesting but they're always you know odd there are going to be something there that as a parent you're going to you know take in and they were talking about where is God and they're trying to encourage each other because they have nightmares sometimes and that's how we encourage them it's like you don't need to wake me up just pray <laughs> pray because God is going to so much be much better help than I am in your your nightmares So we're talking about how God's everywhere, and if if you have a nightmare that a witch is going to come get you, you just need to pray, and God will will help you. And they were talking about that, and the older girls were trying to teach the three-year-old that God's everywhere. And I don't know how well she was listening or whatever, but you just listen to the way that they talk, and you think to yourself, I hope that they really believe that. I hope that I really believe that. Because I don't know where he is, really. You know, they have their nightmare situations where they're praying and asking God to be with them. But we have situations like that too. I need God here and he's not. This thing that's going on, I need God right now and he's not here. This anxiety is constricting, this fear is exasperating, this loneliness is hollowing. I need God with me now, and he's not. Where is God? And if we're honest, there's a lot of times, too, where we're kind of glad that it doesn't feel like God's around. You know, we sing about Emmanuel over Christmas, about Jesus coming and being with us, and we think about how cool it would be when the disciples were with Jesus all the time. But you and I probably wouldn't actually want to be around God that much. So we're honest again there's things that you want that you desire that you know that he hates when it's time to go and to do that thing again you don't want God's presence there with you he feels like this overly active chaperone in your life I want to watch that I want to drink that I want to think that I want to talk about that but I know that God doesn't want that So I'll just pretend he's not here. Where is God? Is he with us? Is he not? Do we want him to be? Do we not? Fickle creatures that we are. And yet in the scriptures, there's a very clear sort of transition that takes place. In the Old Testament, we have God's literal presence with the people of God in the tabernacle. And this tent that they were able to move around with them until under David and then Solomon, really with Solomon, they build the temple. And if you want to know where God is, you go to the temple and you see the temple. In all of its grandeur, overlaid in gold, knowing that that is a priest. And the high priest goes into the presence of God once a year on Yom Kippur, into the Holy of Holies. That's where God is. He's everywhere and he has manifested his presence in this place. In the time of the disciples, you knew this is where God is. Where is God? He's actually around the hill. He's praying. Where is he? He's here. He's right here. And you would grab a guy and you would poke him. And it was a guy. There was God. But where is he now? Where's the temple? We don't have temples now. Where is the temple? Where is Jesus? He ascended to heaven. Where is God now? Well, Acts chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It's talking about the disciples. They're all together. They're, they're kind of huddled up. Jesus told them to wait it out. He said, after I leave, you're going to wait. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and then you'll be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. In the second half of the, first, of the first chapter of the book of Acts, they do a little housekeeping. They replace Judas. And then they're all together in this one place. And all of a sudden, the day of Pentecost arrives. You get a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It fills the entire house where they're sitting. Verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And when they, uh, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What does that mean? Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. He had this big festival. So the Jews that are dispersed all over the the kind of ancient world are coming back into Jerusalem for this festival. And at this sound the multitude came together. They hear this thing that's going on. And these people that are speaking as the Holy Spirit gives them utterance. in this language, languages... And the people, the audience that are kind of gathering around them from all over the empire, they're bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, are all these who are speaking, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Are they not Galileans? They're all from the same place. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belong to the Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed that's how you feel like a really good magic trick. Amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, you got to remember this one. Hilarious. But others mocking said they're filled with new wine. <laughs> Some people a little more dated than others. Okay, so there's a moment this thing happens, this presence comes upon them, and then they react. It immediately motivates this action. Amazing, perplexing action where they are able to speak and at the same time, people from all these different places are able to understand them in their own heart language. Very interesting. What does this mean? Well, this is the introduction of the age of the spirit. Trinity, God, three in one. He is one in person. uh, I'm sorry, one in substance, three in person. We've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the time when the Holy Spirit's presence is among us. Now, I don't want to create too hard a barrier there. There's a lot that goes into it and more than we have scope for. My introduction went way too long. (laughs) But we can talk about it, you and me, if you want to. We'll talk about it more and more. But this is when the Holy Spirit is coming onto the scene. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Very illuminating verse in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 is Jesus in the upper room. He's taking some time with his disciples before he goes to the cross and he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Another, like me, helper. Now, if you look at different translations from the Greek, that word perikaleo, comes into the English in a lot of different ways because we don't have a great word for it. It actually is talking about a lot of different things. And so we try to use the words that we can and the ESV says helper. Other words say advocate, comforter, different things. We'll talk about what that means. So it's giving a description of this one who is like Christ, another helper to be with you forever. Interesting. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Oh, this is so interesting. It does such a good job here of, of helping us to experience what it means to have the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is. It says he's given by the Father after the time of the Son, which what we talked about. And he's a helper like Jesus. We'll dig into that more in just a second. Lastly, though, look at what it says about him. Spirit of truth. Then it says him. How do you conceptualize God the Father? When I imagine God the Father, I imagine the pictures that you get in Ezekiel. He's sitting on this giant rolling throne and his, his hair is white as wool and his eyes are like lightning and it's just overwhelming. <laughs> oh. And then how do you picture Jesus. Hopefully, you've thought a lot, a lot about him. Maybe you thought more about him, and you started with, you know, Jesus, the pictures of Jesus that you see, where he's just sort of whitewashed and beautiful. Then you thought about it. No, 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 he was a builder. It's a poor Jewish guy, walking around, camping out, day in and day out. You meet the people that camp out all the time, right? What do they look like? <laughs> yeah, Jesus, right? <laughs> then... How do you imagine the Holy Spirit? Huh? You got anything? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's hard, right? What do you think of? Well, the scripture calls him, him. It's possible in that sort of blank space for where the Holy Spirit goes that you just import the force from Star Wars. What is it? I don't know, but people who are good at it can like use it and then... Cool stuff happens. No, no. He's not an impersonal force. He is a he. He is personal. Oh, and that changes everything because the Holy Spirit is not, like I'm saying, some kind of force that you're going to use. It's not some sort of all soul that we dissolve into and lose individuality in. He is a person, meaning I can love him. Think about love. We can love a lot of things and people. But that word love gets bigger and bigger and more and more defined and beautiful and important and deep when the thing becomes more of a person. And a person that you know better. We talk about cars and loving our pets. We talk about loving people. And when we really love our cars, it's because they become like people. They're imperfect they have that one little hitch when you open the trailer. They, they have the one little thing they always do, and you have to tell people when they borrow your car, oh, okay, but, and you give them the long list of weird things about your car because it's your car and you know it. And you love it. You're animals. Rarely do people just call their dogs dog or their cats cat. We give them these very interesting, weird names because they take on individuality. In a way, personhood. We talked about getting a dog, and we talked about what we're going to name the dog, and it's so fun to imagine what we're going to, like, scream in anger. Pickles! Why would you poop in my shoes? Pickles! You know? Because you give them silly names, but you still treat them like an individual. I was talking to my mother today. Uh, she had a, a coworker once upon a time. that had a pug named Fannie Mae Wong. <laughs> and she would always talk about Fannie Mae Wong and all this stuff that was going on. And Rarely did you know it was a dog because of the way that she talked about it. Because when you love something, you invite it into this individuality. That's what we're built. That's how we're built to love. And the Holy Spirit is not described as a force, an energy, a temperature, but a person. A person who is totally divine. Jesus says, another helper. And the word that he uses there is the same. D- different, but the same. In the same category. And when Jesus is introducing this topic of the Holy Spirit, and then when Jesus is giving us, in the Great Commission, his last words before his ascension, he's saying, I'll baptize, you'll baptize him in the name of the Father. And the Son. And the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is not tertiary, but primary. He is divine, like Jesus. And He is a resident of your heart. That's what it says there. We receive Him and that He's with us forever. And what is He there to do? Well, He's there to do all kinds of stuff. And part of what he's there to do, and I think this is taking place in the book of Acts as well, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. If you've ever tried to do ministry, really tried to do some kingdom work, tried to build something for the name of God, that moment when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to go out and you're going to work, he's not just empowering action. He's also fixing you on the inside. Just think for a moment about these disciples. Not only did they need a skill set in order to go out and to preach the gospel, not only did they need eloquence, the ability to speak to different peoples of different languages, they also need to have some of their doubts squashed, some of their fear muted. They needed the Holy Spirit to work in them as he is going to work Through them. And that's exactly what God says the Holy Spirit does for us in Ephesians 3. Paul is praying for this church in Ephesus. And he's saying, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That according to the the riches of his glory. He may grant you to be strengthened with power. Through his spirit in your inner being. You need to be strengthened. Strengthened. Inside through his spirit so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength. Again, you're being fixed up to work. You're a car. You get an old crappy car and you fix it up. You don't fix it up to just look at it. You fix it up so that you can turn that key and then hear it sing. He's fixing you up in order to go grounded in love. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about Peter. He had just... Blatantly denied Christ three times. And here we are a month and a half later and Jesus is laying on him. The Great Commission? You think about Matthew. He was a tax collector like two years ago. One of the most hated individuals in the world. You think about John. If, Mom, if I'm right about Mark's description, I think of John. John. There was a moment in the arrest of Jesus where he left his cloak in order to run. Meaning, he ran naked from the arrest of Jesus. And these men are the cornerstones of the church? You know that they're going to need encouragement. You know when they continue to fall, continue to fail, they're going to need the Holy Spirit to come alongside them and redeem them in some ways. Not the ultimate redemption that's happened in Christ, but to remind them, to ground them, in love. Oh man. If we had 45 more minutes. Alright, let's keep going though. Because what the Holy Spirit does is He comes upon them. Not only strengthening them, rooting them, grounding them. He's also using them. Remember what it says here in Acts 2.7. They're amazed and astonished saying... Not all these who are speaking Galileans. How is it that we each hear each of us in our own native language? And it goes through all these different places, which again, you just think, blah, 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 blah. You know, you don't know where any of this is, but it's all these little places that are around. And they're all very different. And they're all different ethnicities, all different people, groups, all different languages, different cultures. And yet we hear them. Look at verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty Works of God. What is the Holy Spirit going to do through you? All kind of controversy about the Holy Spirit. If you've been around different churches, they believe the Holy Spirit does different things. I already said tongues. There's tongues. What are tongues? We can talk about that. The headline though, what the Holy Spirit is going to do with you, through you, with all of those gifts. He's going to use you to proclaim Jesus To everyone. That's that easy. He's going to use you and me to proclaim Jesus to everyone. Man, you're saying to yourself, how? How? Maybe it is. The Holy Spirit's just going to use us to have this nice place. And other people will see it. And then they'll ask us lots of questions. They'll pry the gospel out of us. Maybe. Probably not. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you to boldly, consistently, lovingly, gently proclaim Jesus to everyone. Not just to fun people who are like you that you kind of want to have over on Friday. But to the horrible people who are not like you, who you never want to have over. I mean, think about that. What is the point in having all these different nationalities come together? all of these different people with all their different beefs. It's because God wants us to remember that he is all about crossing over these boundaries. He had to come over a big boundary to get to you and he's going to push you over lots of little boundaries to get to others. We're really going to need to have ourselves strengthened in love, rooted, grounded in love. Understanding the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love towards us. So we can have that same, maybe a smaller version, but growing, same kind of love for others. That's what Peter did. I mean, we're going to talk more about his sermon. But what he says at the end of his sermon, and this is bold You go down to verse 37 in Acts chapter 2. He says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Hard word. Not easy to say. You say it to your children because they're clearly wrong. Oh, we're going to discipline. This is what we're going to do now. Change. Don't do that anymore. But that's the only relationship where you can clearly and easily say, Repent. There are a few working relationships between superior and inferior where you're able to just say, wrong, change. And we are called to say to everybody at the most basic level, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just be real. All of this stuff is going to be difficult. All of this stuff is going to be hard. The life that we're going to see from Peter and Paul from this point forward is not a life of ease. It just gets harder and harder and harder. This is this tongue of fire. We're being baptized. Holy Spirit, Jesus talks about, John the Baptist talks about how I baptize with water, but here comes one who will baptize you fire. Trials are coming. But do you know the comfort of these verses? He will be with you forever. If you repent, you will have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Think about Psalm 23. We preached on it a couple weeks back. We talked about how all of this beautiful stuff about the Lord being your shepherd and how you're being so cared for is taking place in the valley of of the shadow of death. Why do you not fear? Because he's with you. Then it says. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. You anoint my head with oil. The picture throughout the scriptures. Of that anointing. Is the same picture that we get. And it's used over and over again. Through the New Testament. To talk about receiving God's presence, receiving the Holy Spirit. Even in the presence of your enemies, he will be with you. Now, are we equipped to go and make disciples? The answer, of course, is yes, but nobody shouted out because, you know, you're still wondering, right? <laughs> I didn't say it. It was a little rhetorical. Okay, yeah. But, but when you really start to think about it, are we equipped to go and make disciples of all nations? Are we ready to take his name to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? All I'm saying today is that we have the equipment. He's with us. It doesn't seem like he's with us, but he's with us. Are we ready? Lord God and Heavenly Father, I ask that you would apply this text. And the only application right now is faith. To believe that you're with us, that you're in us, that you're changing us, that you're reminding us of the love of God, the redemption that has been given to us, not earned by us, accomplished for us through Christ. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. Let us know your presence, that you're with us forever, the electrifying presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, Lord. They don't just stay still. You come upon them in power and they begin to speak, to boldly proclaim the redemption in Christ. I just ask, Lord, that we would be ready to believe that if we are in Christ, we are in the Spirit and that you being with us will empower us for that work, for the good of all the people that are going to hear and believe, but also for our good. And for your glory. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.